Today's episode of Whatever It Means to You podcast is brought to you by Sand Jam Music Festival, Panama City Beach, Florida. It'll be going on from April 26th to the 28th, and we are very excited to be partnering with them, not only because it's dope that we're having a festival like this in our area, but we get to see some of our favorite bands. Shane, who are you excited about seeing? Oh, man. Uh, Yay Sayer, of course. Uh, Dude, I'm kind of... Stoked to see Third Eye Blind. Do, 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 I, 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 I want to see Third Eye Blind. I think we've uh, we've done enough '90s music in our trivia over the past uh, season that I'm just ready to see. Yeah, some we 90s know some music. of their catalog. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, for uh, we got our locals, uh, Wimpy Veterans Heritage are going to be out there. That's excited. Uh, the Revivalists, Young the Giant. Who else, man? Uh, oh, uh, a guest that is going to be on our show, uh, Christy Lovelady, who is performing at Sand Jam. Uh, she's going to be a guest coming up as well on our podcast. So She's got a new uh, single dropping uh, soon. Yes, April 19th, I believe, yeah. was the date on that, which is also the date of the Stranger single. Oh. Uh, another Wimpy veteran yeah. on that. But anyway, uh, sandjamfest.com in Panama City Beach, Florida. An- another thing that I'm just really excited about, um, we had that storm come through and just completely devastate the area. So it's really cool to see this festival coming here, um, you know, in the face of all the adversity and all the all the terrible shit that happened to Panama City. It's great that the festival is still happening. And it's also going to give those people something to look forward to as well, because uh, I know a lot of people in Mexico Beach and and that area and the Tyndall area are, are still desperately struggling. I mean, those areas aren't, aren't even aren't even rebuilding no, yet. Like, no. like um, you They're know, uh, Lee Island and Skip are still in trail. They just got their FEMA trailer, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so super grateful that the guys at Sand Jam are still going strong. You can get your tickets at sandjamfest.com. You can also get some information there on their lodging partners, uh, merchandise, all that kind of stuff. And also, go to Sand Jam Fest because you'll see us and get to <laughs> hang out with us. And uh, when we're in festy mode, it tends to be a little bit of fun. So anyway, sandjamfest.com, get your tickets. Uh, my guest today is Mr. Alex Fogg, uh, professional. A.K.A. lion killer. Yeah, lionfish <laughs> killer, uh, grouper killer, shark fender offer. Uh, a lot of really great information here. If you like the water, if you like fishing, if you if you're worried about the environment, there's there's a lot of great information on here. Uh, one of the main things we tackle in the podcast is the lionfish issue, and I'm not going to say much more about it because we spoke at length about it with our guest today, Alex Fogg. From Boat Studios in Destin, Florida, it's the Whatever It Means to You podcast. It's something that most people don't like at first. With Jared Gramblin. I love my job, but I hate talking to people like you. And Shane Denton. White people, yay! We got a good one for you today! All right, Whatever It Means to You podcast episode 65. My guest today is Alex Fogg. What's up, man? What's going on? Doing good. Uh, just get right into it, man. Alex... We'll, we'll tell you a little bit about himself, but just to get started, he's uh, uh, m- one of the main marine biologists with the Tourist Development Council of Okaloosa County, correct? Yep, you got it. Okay, you want to tell us a little bit how you got to that point and kind of kind of what you do? Yeah, man. So growing up, I was a Navy brat, spent a lot of time around the water. Um, you know, growing up, I, I wanted to do something that would keep me near the water for the rest of my life. So naturally, going into marine science, I figured that would keep me near the water. Went to the University of South Carolina, got my uh, degree from there back in 2010, 2011. Um, and right around that time, the BP oil spill happened. So that brought me to the Gulf Coast. A lot of jobs popped up, spent 
three, four years in Mississippi doing some uh, post oil spill work there, um, then transitioned into grad school where I did a bunch of work on uh, invasive lionfish, which I'm sure we'll be talking plenty about today. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, made it over to Tallahassee, did some work for Florida Fish and Wildlife, and then now I'm uh, the Marine Resource Coordinator for the Emerald Coast Convention and Visitors Bureau uh, here in Okaloosa County. Yeah. what uh, Going back to the BP oil spill yeah. deal, what... I've, I have this thing like uh, they we we've discussed it on the show before. I feel like they shelled out so much money to everyone that there's some shit we don't know about. Um, I mean, as as far as my I guess view of the whole situation was, I mean, they they shelled out a ton of money to do a lot of research. Um, I was on you know very low level position at that time, so I was more doing all the grunt work. Yeah. Um, but from what I saw, I mean, right after the oil spill, yeah, there was a lot of oil on the surface, but most of my post. Post spill work, I didn't see any oil. Yeah. The impacts, I can't really speak to that. But yeah, I'm more talking about like the dispersants and stuff. Oh, 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 gotcha. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. I was out. I was out of uh, out of that position. Yeah, out yeah. of that position once uh, once <laughs> all that started coming to light. <laughs> yeah, there were people that like barely even work. They were like, I got twenty thousand dollars, and I was like, Yeah, you're gonna have another arm soon. You yeah, know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, you'll be able to work harder. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, you know, BP they they provided funds to all sorts of just folks that owned a boat in the area, yeah. pretty much throughout the entire <laughs> Gulf Coast. I mean, it was it was wild the amount of money that they shelled out for that. Not to mention all the all the claims and all the research that was done mm-hmm. too. It's yeah, cool. someone someone's telling me that uh, just if you owned your own business, like the I think the minimum. That they would just automatically pay you out was like sixty k or something. Really? Like you, Is that was that owned across the business. entire coast, or was that like? I know I know a girl that makes jewelry that has an LLC. She might have like, she might have been making a couple grand a year. Wow! <laughs> and she got she got a check for sixty k and took yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely won't say her name on here, but. Uh, but yeah, man, I always wondered if, if, if there was any inside information, if there was something. Because Shane and I got settlements as well, because I was a bartender at mm-hmm. the time, and, and Shane was too. So we we got we had a pretty rough summer, but we caught settlements. But I was they were so quick to give that money, I was like, yeah. something's not something's not yeah, right. Yeah, but we were we were real quick to sign off on that extra five <laughs> grand. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if there's insider information, I'm I'm certainly not aware. Of yeah, it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk after the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like an NDA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, so you've been in this area now for permanently for what two years? About like a year and a half. Yeah, yeah I moved here uh, October 2017. Yeah, what's your yeah. take, man? You I love so it, man. Far? I love it. Yeah, so I mean, being down on the Gulf Coast, I was always coming to Destin to go fishing and diving. Mm. Um, you know, I, I never really imagined that I'd be living here, but then a position opened up and I got it, and I was. Like, holy crap, I'm actually gonna be moving here. Yeah, I got here. You know, I, I moved in during a tropical storm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you know, the following week I was subjected to all the traffic. But hey, you know, it, it's small price to pay to live in paradise. Yeah, yeah, it's been rough. <laughs> so to, today, it's, it's always the first, uh, like the third week in March, always is an adjustment period for locals. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is what it's gonna be like for the next. Well, six la- last week was killer because all the all the schools were out for spring break. Mm-hmm. So you know, getting to and from work, I was like, man, what? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> What's happening? And then people at work were like, yeah, there's spring break. I'm like, oh, and then this week, last two days have not been. Well, working. yeah, and you had some pretty nice weather, too. So mm-hmm. people were on the beaches rather than yeah. on the roads. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. I yeah. guess those days where it rains, people mm-hmm. started driving like idiots. And yeah, and everyone's a lot shopping in restaurants and <laughs> yep. shit, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so you're also, you know, not only are you a, a, a marine biologist, but I mean, I was unaware of this, but you're probably, you're, I mean, I don't know how to word this, but one of the top spear fishermen. 
I like you spearfishing hold, a lot. You hold some like <laughs> records and stuff, right? Um, Don't you? And like, as far there really are no records yeah. as far as spearfishing goes. I've I've harvested a lot of different species of fish mm-hmm. um, for fun, commercially, in tournaments, whatever. Um, every chance that I can get, I like going out there and doing it. And that's mm-hmm. that's what's cool about my job is there's there's a lot of folks who are in the marine sciences that are doing things to try and understand fish or protect fish, but I'm kind of doing it to protect and preserve those fish so that I can go harvest those fish. Yeah, exactly. So it's like a conflicted <laughs> conservationist kind of idea. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it really is awesome, creating all these reefs to, to help the fish that, you know, folks like myself can go out there and, and kill a bunch of fish. Yeah. It's Let's fun. talk about that a little bit, mm-hmm. about these reefs. Yeah, so... When I was at Florida Fish and Wildlife in Tallahassee, that's where, you know, I really got my feet wet in this whole artificial reef game. And, you know, I grew up diving and fishing these artificial reefs, but I didn't really know the process behind actually putting these things in the water. And it's actually, you know, quite difficult to actually sink something. Um, You know, I won't I won't dive too much into that. But uh, here on the Emerald Coast, uh, a lot of the reefs that we have going in over the next year or so are actually BP funded. Again, um, funding for lost recreational opportunities. So following the BP oil spill, um, a lot of the Gulf of Mexico was actually closed down to fishing. So people weren't able to go out and commercially harvest fish. The charters weren't able to run because you you just were not allowed to go fishing. So this is uh, one of the ways that they're trying to to make up for that. And they've provided, I think for this specific project, 10 to, million, 10 to 11 million dollars to the Florida Panhandle for artificial reefs. No, that's a lot of yeah. stuff you it's can a put ton. down there. Yeah, <laughs> man, it's it's going to be about 400 new reefs um, wow, offshore wow. and another 300 or so inshore. And this is all within state waters, so within 9 miles of of shore, um, and we start construction wow. on that April 1st. Wow. So it's right around the corner. I mean, it's yeah. been a long time going cuz I was kind of managing that project for the state when I first started over in Tallahassee in 2015, and now here we are in 2019, it's finally about to go in the water. Are those going to be public numbers? Oh, yeah. Every single one of those. Oh, wow. We all posted on the website, and we'll Ooh. be doing all sorts of press releases. So That's awesome. I know. I know. Lots of fishing spots in our near future. There's already a ton out there, but uh-huh. this is this is huge. This yeah. is really big for the region. I wonder if that'll cut down on like people throwing bullshit fads into the water and stuff <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, those those uh, illegal fads. Yeah, we got yeah. All, That's another project we got going on, too, man. We got these these fads that we... This, these will actually be the first ones that have been deployed in the continental U.S., uh-huh. Those will be deployed this summer as well, hopefully before the uh, the fishing rodeo in the fall. And they're going to be 60 to 80 miles offshore. They're going to be way out there. But the purpose for these fads is actually to provide a location that folks can go to to target pelagic species. Your yeah. marlin, your dolphin, tuna, a lot of those real big game fish. Because mm-hmm. right now, the, the boats, the private boats and the charter boats that go out there targeting these things are kind of going blind. I say blind. I mean, a lot of the, the old salts know where they're going to catch these fish. Yeah. But you know, this will provide a place that's a, a fixed structure that they can go to and they don't have to run all the way to Louisiana or kind of wing it. Yeah, you're going to say, I know where I know where the fish are. Exactly, generally, generally. And also, we're going to have a bunch of scientific equipment on there, a bunch of weather stations too, so people will actually be able to tell how bad it is or how good it is out there before they go. Okay. Mm-hmm. What does a uh, legal fad look <laughs> like? So versus like, cause yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm, why don't you explain what a fad is? Real yeah, quick that's a good point. So a fad is a fish attracting device uh-huh. and it's exactly how it sounds out in the middle of the water, middle of the ocean. There's nothing, there's nothing out there. So you put some kind of feature like a buoy and it's going to attract fish and you get the little fish, you get the bigger fish, the big fish, you know, and it just ends up turning into a, a pit stop for a lot of these, uh, large fish that are swimming by. And yeah. we don't really know how long they stay. Uh, but the good news is, you know, there's a lot of folks out there who think that uh, putting these fads out there are going to be a bad thing because it's going to aggregate all these fish and all these fish are going to get killed. 
the good news is all those billfish, those large billfish are catch and release anyways. So you catch them, you get your picture with it and you release it. Okay. Um, but you know, your fish that you're actually harvesting to eat, like your mahi mahi or your wahoo, those are extremely sustainable fish. They're really fast growing. So you can, you can actually catch a whole bunch of them and not have to worry about, you know, really hurting the population like you would with, mm-hmm. with some of those large or the marlins or some of your reef fish like red snapper and grouper. Yeah. So. Uh, so what does your fad look like versus whatever? Because I've like I've run over some tarps before. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So those are a totally different beasts. These will yeah. actually be we, we we're going out to bid and we're actually going to have these contractors tell us what they can provide to us. But the thousand foot view is these are going to be large buoys that sit above the surface with a line going all the way to the bottom. And I mean, they could be anywhere from 10 foot tall to, you know, 20 foot tall. I mean, okay. I don't think they're going to be that tall, but they, they could be pretty substantial structures. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just going to have to see over the next month what sort of proposals we have coming in. Okay. So almost like uh, on a much smaller level, like like having a rig out there. Yeah, exactly. It, it'll serve the same purpose because, yeah. I mean, that's that's why these boats run all the way to Louisiana and Texas and Mississippi to rigs. fish those rigs because... That's a feature that they can go to. They know they can go to, and odds are they're going to have those large pelagics around it. Yeah. Do people fish off those rigs? Fish off of them? Yeah. Um, I, I do know some oil rig workers that during their off time, they'll do some fishing, and that's a really long drop and a really yeah, long reel up <laughs> yeah. just to get to the water, let yeah, alone bring sure. up a big fish. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. How do they do it? Like, yeah. they have, do they have drop downs or something? Yeah, or? I mean, I've seen some pretty pretty nifty probably, little yeah. contraptions yeah. that oh, these guys have come up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pulling up big old fish, but <clears throat> yeah, that's cool, man. That's that's great that that's happening. Yeah, well. yeah, it's exciting. It'll be a really cool, really cool option that mm-hmm. you know visitors and locals alike have for for our area. Yeah, yeah, man. That that's great, dude. Um, let's get into a little bit uh, about. I was telling you earlier, kind of what we do on this podcast. A lot of times we discuss mm-hmm. issues that are that are super important locally, and and one that's thankfully catching some education. And a lot more people are talking about mm-hmm. is the lionfish yeah. issue now. Um, can we talk a little bit about like how, like how it started and and in any sort of I'm sure you have the best information yeah as well, far as I like don't know the if it's the best information but I know I know quite a bit about <clears> these guys um, as I kind of said earlier in the show um, I got my master's while I was over in Mississippi and that was on lionfish so lionfish first showed up in the mid 1980s off of Southeast Florida Miami area um, it was only a few fish you know a few isolated reports there really wasn't much you know alarm at that point. Um, when you got to about 2000, um, fish, had, the lionfish reports started popping up all the way up the East coast, up into new England, Bermuda, the Bahamas, down into the Caribbean. And today they're throughout that entire range, throughout the Caribbean, South America, and into the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico was the last place that, that they invaded. And while, you know, having a new fish swimming around in our oceans may not sound like that big of a deal when there's nothing around to keep them in check. There's nothing really eating them, not enough numbers to keep them under control. They go mm-hmm. unchecked. Yeah. And they'll eat a lot of those juvenile species. So they'll eat a lot of juvenile groupers and snappers that we love, but they'll also compete with those species. So they'll eat a lot of the same fish that those groupers and snappers eat. And the impact to those commercially and recreationally important species that we rely on, especially in Destin, is hasn't really been realized. Um, and it, it may not be something that we realize for a while. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times if you see a decline in a stock or in a, in a fish species, you don't really know what that cause is. Is it because of overfishing? Is it because of red tide? Or is it because of lionfish? Or maybe a combination of all of those things. So the impact to the native ecosystem, we don't really know. There have been a lot of studies that have shown that they can absolutely impact the, the ecosystems that they've invaded. But mm-hmm. um, 
uh, yeah, I have, we haven't really seen and been able to link it to Red Snapper or Grouper. Okay. Wholly. Yeah. Um, but recently, we've actually seen pretty significant declines in the population of lionfish. Now, um, a lot of people were like, oh, great, the, the derbies and things are helping. There's a lot of lionfish derbies and a lot of lionfish events and, and organized uh, uh, events that get people offshore to go harvest a bunch of lionfish. Um, and people were thinking maybe that was working. But the fact of the matter is there's so many reefs out there. There's so many fish out there that these real localized removal events are great and can certainly control them on a local level. And the whole scheme of the invasion, it's it's just a drop in the bucket. So what we're thinking may be happening is there's some kind of natural mechanism that's keeping them under control. Uh, about a year and a half ago, we noticed some uh, lionfish popping up with what looks like some kind of uh, disease um, that was just affecting them, uh, which was pretty interesting. Um, we didn't think too much of it right off the bat, but then we started noticing on it more and more and more lionfish. And then we started seeing this, this drastic decline in the population. And this was throughout their entire invaded range, not just off of Destin or not just off of Jacksonville or something like that. This is everywhere. Mm -hmm. And today we're seeing populations about 30% of what they were a year and a half ago. So good for the ecosystem, but not so good for folks that like to go out and hunt lots and lots of lionfish. Yeah. But, you know, you can still go out to the reefs here in Destin or along the panhandle and find 20, 30 fish per dive. It's just not the normal or what we consider the normal 100 fish per dive. Yeah. That's good though, right? It is. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. absolutely a good thing. It's, yeah. Well, it, it's kind of like what I was saying earlier is, you know, lionfish has been a, a big part of my life and I go out and I participate in these tournaments and go out and harvest a whole bunch for friends or, mm -hmm. and to sell commercially. Now it's actually hard to go out there and find lots of lionfish. So on that side of things, it's kind of like, oh man, that stinks. That was, that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. You still can do that on a very limited level. But on the other side, it's like, okay, great. This is great for the local ecosystem. So it's trying to figure out where my emotions lie yeah. <laughs> sometimes. So, well, that, and well, that's what I was going to ask too, because that's crazy if, if, they, if there was a, maybe a disease or something that, mm -hmm. that was affecting them only. I mean, that's a pretty cool way of nature taking it is, out, but man. you know, think of it like this. So this is a, a lionfish. It's been here for, you know, thir over 30 years now. Um, it was never here before. We have a lot of things, diseases, parasites, and things here in this area that they maybe don't have from their native range over in the Pacific and Indian Ocean. Mm -hmm. So they get dropped here and maybe they weren't quite exposed in the concentrations to whatever may be causing this mm -hmm. until just recently. And then all of a sudden it clicked and spread through the population like crazy. Because if you think about it, you have... 100 lionfish or 200 lionfish stacked around a reef the size of your kitchen table, that's really close proximity to each other. So if one fish gets sick, it's like, you know, a, a elementary school. One kid gets sick, every kid gets sick. Mm -hmm. So in this case, one lionfish gets sick, all lionfish get sick. Yeah. The bad news is there's a lot of lionfish that are, are surviving this, and those are the ones who are, of course, you know, procreating and, and making more. Well, yeah, and do, doesn't lionfish have a, like, don't they have like five times the amount of eggs that they can yeah, release in a so certain amount of time. And they, they have a, a very high reproductive capacity. They can spawn you know, during the summer months. They can spawn every couple days. Um, and an average size female, just a, a regular size female can spawn uh, upwards of 30,000 eggs per spawn. So that ends up being, you know, millions and millions of eggs a year. Sounds like a lot, but when you compare it to your snappers and groupers, it's about the same. It's about the same as far as the number of eggs go. Mm -hmm. But what they think is that maybe on those eggs that they, they spawn, there may be some kind of deterrent, whether it be a poison or something that keeps some of your classic egg eaters from attacking them. In addition to that, lionfish are able to do this throughout the entire calendar year. 
to where at some point they're going to have favorable conditions that those those eggs are going to grow to a you know larva and settle onto the reef and become you know adult lionfish where your snappers and groupers have a very small reproductive season you know maybe just a couple months and if if conditions aren't favorable you may not have a good reproductive class yeah um so that's kind of diving into the the sciencey kind of stuff but uh yeah i mean lionfish they're they're their life history traits are amazing. They can grow extremely fast. And the, you know, they really only max out to about, the biggest one recorded is about 20 inches, 19, 20 mm-hmm. inches. They can grow 10 inches in the first year. So they grow half their size in the first year, and then their, their growth obviously slows down. But if they're able to grow that fast and they become reproductively active within the first six months, I mean, it's that, that's a fish that is is primed to take over a lot of reefs very quickly. And we saw that with the invasion. Yeah, well, and the thing is, they don't they don't bite hooks. Yeah, right. so they're really lazy. I mean, they can just <laughs> they can just sit there, so nothing fears them. So all these native fish that you know have these lionfish showing up on their reefs, they don't know what it is. They don't know that they need to fear it, so they'll swim right up to it and get gobbled up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's that's a reason why lionfish just don't need to be active and go and, and bite something that may be dangling on a hook. Mm-hmm. Sometimes fishermen do get lucky, and odds are they dropped the hook right in front of that lionfish and it gobbled it up. But I mean, if you've been fishing offshore recently you have a hard enough, hard enough time getting past the trigger fish and the red snapper to catch a lion. Fish. Yeah. So exactly. you'd have to, you'd have to try really hard to catch one of those. Yeah. I've never caught one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've n- I don't think I've ever seen one caught either. Just yeah. there's, uh, there's just a few experience. that pop up off Destin every once in a while, yeah. I mean, really everywhere else. But yeah, well also you can go down They they don't have any natural predators mm-hmm. either. Correct. Mm-hmm. So correct. when you go down, if you find a group of 50 of them, you can yep. pick every last one of them. Exactly. Off, right? Exactly. So like the native species, not recognizing them as a predator, they don't recognize anything a predator because nothing messes with them. So you go down there with your spear and your your zookeeper and you start going to town. You shoot the buddy that's literally six inches away and it just sits there. It doesn't do a thing. It, <laughs> it wonders crazy. where Billy just went. <laughs> and well, let's say you shoot one that gets off. It just kind of goes and settles right back into the sand and it lets you do it again. And his little buddies <laughs> just sit there and watch. They may kind of start to move toward the structure but like you said, he just they all just sit there and wait their turn. It's wild. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you if, if you get efficient at it, you you can move through these reefs pretty quick. But, you know, diving is inherently a, a very inefficient method of getting a lot of fish compared to your trawls or, or long lines or bandit fishing like yeah. you know, traditional commercial can you explain, fishing. Can you explain what a zookeeper is? Yeah. So a, a zookeeper is a device that a gentleman out of Sarasota developed uh, back when folks wanted to start harvesting a lot of these things. It's essentially a PVC tube that a, a glorified PVC yeah. tube that has uh, a funnel on it that has little slits. So if you imagine, you know, shooting one of these lionfish with a a like three to five prong tip and pushing it in through that funnel, and when you retrieve your spear, it strips the lionfish off into this little container. And because it's made out of PVC, um, those spines can't penetrate it, and then you don't have to deal with a bunch of pointy things on the bottom. When you get back yeah. to the boat, it's a different ball game, but. What happens if you get stung by one? Oh, it sucks. <laughs> there's no, I mean, there's <laughs> nothing. Stung? Oh, hell yeah. No, it's, <laughs> it, dealing with these little bastards for as long as I have, it's, it was you know expected that it was going to happen once, if not many, many, many times. And nowadays, I handle them enough, and I generally don't get stung, but it's when I get complacent, when I, get, when I end up taking a bad hit. And I've been stung dozens and dozens of times with varying levels of, of response. Sometimes it's ouch, that hurt, a little bit of swelling to, you know, another time I ended up in the hospital. Oh, wow. The good news is no one's ever died from this, and I haven't died. Mm. But uh, like a bee sting or any sort of venom, um, you can either build up a tolerance to it, or in some cases you can build up maybe a a hypersensitivity to it. 
And considering I haven't really built up a tolerance to it with the amount of times I've been stung and the, the reactions have become a little more severe as time gone, has gone on, I might be going the other direction. Which oh, no. Isn't, isn't good for someone who's, <laughs> who's harvesting these little yeah. guys as much as I am. So Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the programs that we have that are, uh, that are kind of local to us that are, you know, not only educating people about the, the issue, but also in the harvesting process. I think last time I spoke with you uh, and Parker was telling you something about restaurant week or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So there's the Florida legislator has designated the first Sunday after mother's day as lionfish removal and awareness day. And this time of year uh, or that time of year, every year there's a bunch of festivals and a bunch of tournaments and things that pop up throughout the state of Florida. The headquarters has, has, generally been up in the Pensacola area, Northwest Florida, just because of the sheer number of lionfish that we have up here. This will actually be the first year that's being held in Destin, um, down at AJ's and uh, Harbor Walk Village. We're going to have a bunch of vendors, and the tournament's going to be held here on the Friday and Saturday uh, with the final weigh-in on Sunday. A bunch of bands, great, great time. But the, the best part about having it here in Destin is that it's going to be held right down at the harbor. There's going to be a whole bunch of people going out on their charter trips, coming back in to see this big event going on and can be educated about lionfish and how they're impacting or potentially impacting a lot of the fish that they were just out there trying to catch. Not to mention they'll get a bunch of free lionfish handouts and be able to mm. listen to some bands and some drink yeah. some beer. But um, that, that'll be a really cool event. But for the entire week leading up to that event, we have restaurant week going on. So starting the weekend before, there will be a featured restaurant in the Okaloosa County area that will be serving lionfish in some different preparation every night. And we're going to be pushing that and advertising it on the Emerald Coast website and on the FWC website to try and drive people to go to these places and sample lionfish and, and have it in all these different awesome preparations. Mm -hmm. um, pretty much all the restaurants down the harbor are going to have it. There's a bunch of restaurants over in Fort Walton that are going to have it. The complete list will be will be posted online and on Facebook as well. So you can go to emeraldcoastopen.com to find a little more information about that or reefrangers.com. Okay. what's the? Do you know the exact dates on that? Um, not off, it's probably the, not the calendar. I think it's 16th through the 18th of May. Cool. It's... Thursday night is the captain's meeting, and then it, it ends yeah. on Sunday. Yeah. I hope cool. I got those dates right. Yeah. Yeah, the 16th is Thursday. Okay. For sure. Cool. That's awesome, man. Um, is who, How does the fish get there? Is that provided by uh, yours truly? For the uh, for the restaurant week? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what, one of the aspects of this tournament is we actually have a pre-tournament going on right now. And, you know, it's fun for people to go out, like myself, to go out and shoot a bunch of lionfish for these events to, you know, serve – but I can only get so much. So we're kind of enlisting the participants of this tournament to go out, catch a ton of lionfish, and when they turn them in, we give them raffle tickets for prizes at the main event, but they have to donate those fish. So we end up getting a whole pulse of fish, and I think right now we have about 2,000 lionfish that have been turned in for the pre-tournament, which ends up being about, uh, I'd say, four or 500 pounds of fish. Yeah. Um, it's... It, it, we have a, a pretty good stockpile of lionfish right now, mm. not to mention all the stuff that I've got. That's, like, that's like a thousand entrees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, you know, with, with how big we're trying to make this restaurant week, we needed a lot of fish. And mm -hmm. we kind of when we first started going down this road, we thought maybe we were kind of biting off a little too much. But as as this pre-tournament got started and as, you know, all these different folks started going out there, we realized, OK, we have enough we have enough lionfish for that. So each restaurant will end up getting about. 30, 30 pounds of lionfish, which they can turn into 60 to 100 entrees, depending on what they end up serving. Yeah. So I, you know, I encourage everybody to get out there and try it. There is no risk to eat lionfish. Mm -hmm. Lionfish are venomous. 
Venomous means you have to get stung by it or bit by like in, in the case of a snake, you have to get bit. It's like yeah, it's like eating rattlesnake. It, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. There's no risk to eating rattlesnake either. Mm-hmm. It's you just don't want to get bit or stung. Yeah. Um, it's not like a puffer fish where if you or don't prepare it right, you end up dying. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not the case. Lionfish are extremely safe to eat. And they're actually extremely healthy to eat. They yeah, I eat it raw. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. It's super white. And what's cool about this invasive species, unlike a lot of others, I mean, you got those nutria, those big old rats over in Louisiana. You got all these uh, different, all this different vegetation that's invasive. And people try and eat it, but it's like polishing a turd. You got to put so much <laughs> damn seasoning on it that it's just not good. But in the case of lionfish, you don't have to do anything to it or mm-hmm. you can do everything to it. You can do whatever you want. It's a really versatile flesh and it's, yeah. it's very tasty. But the problem is it's pretty expensive. So because it's so labor intensive to go out there and catch a lot of lionfish, when it ends up to the final user, whether it be at a restaurant or at like a Whole Foods, Whole Foods has been a huge supporter of all this lionfish stuff. It ends up being priced at more than what Grouper and Snapper are going for. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, you're, you're kind of paying for the story of it being, you know, a, a sustainable and, and, and good fish to eat as well as well as it being very healthy and very good to eat. Yeah. Every time I see it on a menu, I, I feel like almost responsible to order it. Too. Yeah. Oh, like, exactly. Not only do I enjoy it, but if I see it on a menu, I'm like, oh, I'm going to eat that. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I ended up I was up in New Jersey a few years ago and we went into a, a, a grocery store and they had lionfish at the seafood counter. And I, I looked at the lionfish. and I was like damn, I could get, I could get this for like, you know, nothing and it'd be a hell of a lot more fresh, but whatever, what the hell, I'll get a couple pounds just to yeah. do my part. And we, we ended up getting it and eating it, you know, got just a few little tiny fillets for 40 bucks or something like that. But <laughs> yeah, it's got to be It was strange. good. Yeah, it was good. Like you've like, exactly. You've killed several hundred in a day yeah. and now you're having to spend $40 to Yeah. You know, they ring it up it. and you're like, holy shit. All right. <laughs> well, whatever. It's good. It's fine. Yeah. It's a good cause. Would you say that you're probably, would you say you're one of the top lionfish hunters in the states um i i'm not gonna be the one to, to say that but i will say yeah. last year uh so that big event that happens every may um me and the three other team members who were from the Destin area we ended up taking first place with 2500 lionfish <sighs> over the course of the tournament Jesus. second place had like 1100 <laughs> so we we dominated mo- yeah we mopped the floor with them yeah we, but more not, than doubled yeah yeah more than doubled but we it, it it was a lot of preparation, um, and these are guys I've been diving with for for many many years. So it was you know good teamwork and a lot of hard work that that made it happen. So how was, deep do you normally have to dive to get these guys? Um, if you're trying to find you know high concentrations, even during the heyday when you'd find you know 100 200 fish, you really need to get deeper than about 90 feet. Um, okay, and lionfish can survive out to a thousand feet, so you can pretty much dive as deep as you want. But you got to find that that balance because as a diver you can't go to 200 feet and stay there for any significant amount of time without having a whole bunch of, of, uh, required stops on your way up. So it just becomes inefficient. Mm-hmm. So that money depth is anywhere from 90 to maybe 140 feet is yeah. where you want to be diving. I mean, you get even, a lot of lion. It can still get a little weird for you after a hundred feet, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, nitrogen narcosis becomes an issue and it's, it's really you down there feeling drunk. It's mm-hmm. called uh, the, the martini rule. It's pretty much every, every 30 feet that you go is equivalent to you, drinking a martini i've never heard yeah, that yeah. yeah so you know Shane, you go down Shane's you, about to take up yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm get in on that yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah but it's i mean it's it's just nitrogen has a narcotic effect under pressure so you know it's like being on laffy gas at the at the um wow the so so and you're at, if you're at 120 you're it's like four there's a change in your 
in the way your brain is treating yeah, your body. Yeah, no doubt. And it's, you know, I didn't know that. It's, it's one of those things, too, though. You also kind of, you know, in quotations, build up a tolerance. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to a friend's house and you have, you know, 10 beers or something like that. And you stand up and you're like, I'm not that drunk. It's like the same thing. It's, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not being affected. But you bet your ass if I gave you a math problem when you were down at, you know, 120 or 150, you would have a it would take you a little bit longer to solve that or to tie a knot or something like that than it would if you were sitting on the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's something you just don't really realize until, you know, maybe after the dive, you're, you look back at a video of you doing something and you're like, what was I doing? Like, why yeah. was I taking so long to do that? You just, you don't really realize it. So it's it's one of those things you have to, you have to find ways to kind of mitigate that, whether it be adding, you know, other gases into your mix, like helium or something, um, or just adding additional oxygen to a certain point that'll kind of displace the nitrogen that gives you that, that narcotic effect. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it gets kind of technical if you're if you're doing a, a whole bunch of deeper dives or doing a whole bunch of dives in a day, but if you plan it right and you dive that plan, it's it's perfectly safe. What's the deepest you dove? Uh, deepest I've dove is about 240 feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's you aren't spending any time down there. <laughs> yeah, you're you just, go down there and you're. That wasn't going down there for lionfish. I was going for some larger fish and go down there and you shoot the first fish that you see and you bring it to the surface. Yeah, you don't spend any time down there and even you know going down there for just a minute. You have a lot of time. It takes you, you know, 10 minutes to come back up. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. What kind of, uh, what's the biggest fish you speared? Um, biggest fish or like the, the fish that I'm most proud of? Both. <laughs> so biggest fish I've shot have been some real large amberjack, just, just shy of a hundred pounds. I still haven't broke the hundred pound mark. I know it's amberjack or a, a violent fish. Yeah. They're a really grumpy fish. They, <laughs> well, as would I, if I got shot, but you know, you're obviously aiming for that kill spot mm. and, a lot of times you don't quite get it right. And, or sometimes you think you got it and then they decide to wake up and, you know, a fish that weighs, you know, close to a hundred pounds can, you're going for can, a ride. Yeah. You can go for a ride or it can, it can hurt you. So you have to be very careful when you're, when you're harvesting these larger fish. Um, I'd say probably the, the fish I'm most proud of was actually caught right here off of Destin or shot right here off Destin. I was down looking for some smaller uh, mangrove snapper, you know, a fish that, you know, they can get up to 15 pounds really, but that's in the whole scheme of things. It's not really a big fish. I was going down this ledge, you know, harvesting a bunch of mangroves, and all of a sudden, this big grouper comes popping up around this this rock. I mean, I've seen lots of grouper before. This is a Warsaw grouper. So this is a, a grouper that's generally found out deep. Uh, it was about 40 pounds, which is small for this species, but it was the first, I guess, good-sized Warsaw grouper I had seen. So I had just shot a fish, and he's just sitting there looking at me, and I'm trying really, really hard to, to get this mangrove strung up, and I, I keep looking up. I'm breathing really fast. I'm trying <laughs> I'm trying to get my gun reloaded so I can go shoot this fish. It slowly starts to meander around to the other side of the rock, and I'm like, oh, crap. I, ho- I really hope it didn't swim away. So I get loaded up, and right when I come around the, the corner, he's sitting there looking at me again, and I was able to get a shot off and, and land the fish. But yeah. I was only, you know, 20, 30 miles off our coast here in Destin. So hmm. you really never know what you're going to get. Yeah, for sure. You never know what you're going to get. So yeah. that, Have you ever had to fight a shark for your fish? Yeah, sharks, sharks, especially during the summertime around here, um, out at, you know, some of the deeper wrecks or some of the real popular wrecks, if you start shooting fish and you get that blood going and struggling fish in the water, sharks are going to show up. Depending on the species, some species are a little more feisty than others. Um I've not had any fish taken from me, um, but I've had to, you know, you know, defend myself from from sharks, whether it be poking them off or sending my fish to the surface or, um, you know, just basically battling them. I've never had to really, uh, you know, worry about getting bit or anything. Mm. They want the fish. They don't want me. Yeah. They just want those bloody fish. So once you send them to the surface, they kind of go back to acting like a normal, you know, sea creature again. Yeah. How do you do that? Do you have a 
do you have a device that you well pop? There, there's a, there's a, there's a number of devices that are out there on the market but they have these things called uh, safety sausages essentially just a little tube that you can fill with air and you get it you know attached to your stringer and you send it to the surface and then the boat picks it up above you okay. um, but once you get that blood out of the water and a struggling fish out of the water that shark will be swimming around looking for it but it's not all it jazzed anymore. up trying to trying to eat something whether it be your leg your arm whatever yeah. but I have all my digits and I've never yeah. been bit but sometimes it can get a little eerie. Yeah, no thanks, man. Mm-hmm. That I don't know how I could handle that. I was in the um uh in the Virgin Islands and we were with my wife's <laughs> uncle and he's a special dude for sure. Mm-hmm. And we looked down and there was probably like a probably like a 7 or 8 foot shark. Mm-hmm. Um Where where did you say this was? In the Virgin Islands, yeah, okay. uh, off St. Thomas. Uh, actually, we were off St. John. We went across to St. John and we're off there. And I saw it, and I'm in about 30, 35 foot of water. I'm like, nah, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> so I, I see this big-ass shark down there, and he's like, hold on. And he dives down and just goes straight at, just straight at the shark's face. And the shark's not moving. <laughs> and he's, like, probably three feet away from the shark. And, like, and he puts his hand out to go, like, touch, touch the shark's it, yeah. face. And I was like, no. You're losing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm just I got a snorkel and stuff, but sure as shit, as soon as he got about a foot away, that shark was not happy. Yeah, he wasn't, and not happy. And I'm really surprised he didn't get his hand ripped off or something. Was but, it a was it a nurse shark or was it? Uh, it, it was just laying there. Yeah, it was just chilling. It was a big ass shark. Yeah, it was a shark that was bigger than me. Yeah, yeah, no so doubt. So that no was doubt. enough for me. Now you know, if assuming that it was a nurse shark, you'd probably be a pretty safe bet that you could probably do whatever you want. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things. If you harass an animal long enough, it's gonna it's gonna do something. It yeah. may not take an arm off, but it can hurt you yeah i mean i've seen i've seen some videos of people harassing nurse sharks and mm-hmm. large goliath grouper or just anything any large animal i mean you you mess with a bull and you're gonna get the horns yeah <laughs> yeah I, the, a goliath grouper could swallow you right <laughs> uh, some of them i mean shoot I mean, th- to be honest you know you ask about sharks you, we have goliath grouper off here sometimes or especially down in south florida that you know you shoot a fish and they're they're on it quick mm-hmm. and they'll go and they'll just gobble the whole thing down yeah. bend your shaft all to crap and just you know ruin all your stuff mm-hmm. or sometimes you'll be sitting there dealing with a fish and they'll come up and, and try and eat the fish with your hands in there yeah they can don't you have, shoot a goliath no 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 they've been closed down since the early 90s okay because they're so big they've always been the king of the reef and they'll swim right up to you and they're super aggressive um because nothing's messing with them i mean mm-hmm. sharks don't even mess with them so they're very easy to spear especially with a power head or, or some kind of uh uh you know, explosive round to, mm-hmm. to take them down. So, you know, humans pretty much. What do you mean explosive round? So, uh, like a, a 357 bullet that you can actually put into a little device that you can you can go down and use underwater on some oh. of your large on, on large species okay. of fish. Um, it's it's illegal in a lot of places, but for certain uh, commercial activities, you can use it. Yeah. Um, for harvesting a lot of amberjack or or large grouper and stuff like that. But that's that's how they used to harvest goliaths back in the day, and damn near wiped them out. Um, they've made a hell of a comeback since the 90s when they first uh, first closed them down, and we've started to see more and more off our coast again, which is, it really is a treat when you do see them. I mean, they're huge animals, and they're they're very slow-moving, and as long as you aren't, you know, shooting a bunch of fish around them, you can get right up next yeah, to them. several hundred pounds. Oh, right? yeah. I mean, they're the size of a Volkswagen, man. They're, they're huge. <laughs> they're huge. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to see them. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, down in southeast Florida, certain times of the year, they stack up to spawn. You know, they'll, they'll be there by the hundreds. And that's a huge, oh, wow. tor- that's a tourist attraction. I mean, people go to see this many Goliaths in one yeah. place. I mean, it really is amazing. Um, we don't have any really up here in this area yet. I mean, hopefully with, you know, the rebounding of the population, we may see some. But 
Yeah. Um, or it's easy, these aggregations, but right now it's maybe one or two on a wreck out there. But they generally like those real large wrecks, real large, large structures, because they, they need a, a big structure. They need a big house because they're big. Yeah. Um, do you play any part in, in deciding kind of how our seasons go? No, no, I sure don't. Um, I've been on the, the side of collecting a lot of the data that goes into those stock assessments, which ultimately result in, in the seasons. But no, I've I've never actually played a part in the the decision making of that. that could, that's way up the chain and it's quite political. <laughs> yeah, just like anything. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And it, you know, a lot of people complain about not having a very long season, whether it be for red snapper and trigger fish. And and the fisherman in, in me says, man, I wish I could go out there and just kill fish every single day, every single day. But you know, there's a reason why the Gulf of Mexico is as fertile as it is, as far as going out there and, and harvesting a lot of fish or being able to go out there and access so many different species of fish. Mm-hmm. Yes, the fishing regulations are, are very strict, but, you know, I think they need to be strict, especially with how technology is going. I mean, right now, I could have never been on a boat in my entire life. I could go buy a boat and get electronics that could damn near catch the fish for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, these fish don't even stand a chance. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to say whether I, I fully agree with, with the rules that have come out or not. I do think that we do need to have strict rules to kind of make sure that we can maintain these these stocks until, mm-hmm. you know, our kids grow up and, and go fishing. Yeah. If, I've ever kid, if I ever have kids, I want them to be able to see the fish and do the diving and the spearfishing that, that I've done. I don't want them to go out there and just harvest a bunch of, you know, eight-inch fish. I want mm-hmm. them to be able to see some trophies and, and yeah. harvest, harvest the big boys. Yeah. So do you think, uh, so is the lionfish out of, is it at a manageable uh, mm. figure right now? No, I, d- I don't think so. I mean, we're still trying to get a hold on on how much their population has declined. Mm. And we still haven't really figured out on what, how, how much of an impact they actually had on the, the native species. Like I said, it's really hard to tease out whether it was lionfish or humans or red tide or whatever that caused declines in certain populations. We really don't know what their impact was. On some of the, your small, pretty, colorful fish and like small fish that they can eat really quickly. Those guys I think have probably taken a pretty significant hit, especially Mm -hmm. on local reefs where you have, you know, a hundred lionfish, you go and remove them. And when we're doing our like stomach content analysis, see what they're eating. You don't find reef fish in their stomachs anymore. You find sand dwelling species. So they're actually, there's no fish on the reef. They have to go out into the sand to actually eat. Oh, okay. So it's, it's showing that, I mean, they've, they have the potential to really wipe out a reef of all these real small fish, which is something that no one really pays attention to much because you aren't catching them on hook and line. Mm -hmm. Everyone cares about the grouper and snapper that they're catching, not the, you know, small damsel fish and the cardinal fish that these lionfish are gobbling up and they never really see unless you're a diver. Yeah. But I mean, as far as them being at a manageable level, I mean, I don't think they're really ever going to be at a manageable level until they're at zero, but they will find their place in the ecosystem at the expense of some species, but not all. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, all we can really do then is, is educate and try to get more people involved. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The more people will get involved. I mean, when you go to a seafood restaurant and they're talking about their fish specials, you know, people need to ask like, hey, have you ever served lionfish? Because if, if more people asked that, these restaurant owners are going to be like, well, shoot, you know, that's, that's, that's 10 people this week that asked for lionfish. Maybe we should do like a lionfish night. And then they try and source it. And that, that ends up, you know, resulting in a supply and demand. And in a lot of cases, these restaurants don't have a problem paying a premium to the diver, to the harvester for this lionfish. It trickles down to the consumer. But at the end of the day, the consumer still ends up p- spending the money for, for lionfish, whether it be for the story, for the taste, whatever. 
Yeah, does this, do you still have to go through the same process as far as buying fish? So if I went out and killed a bunch mm-hmm. of lionfish, I can't just go to a restaurant and say, do you want to no, buy these from me? No, but the state of Florida has actually made it extremely easy for folks to like you to go out, harvest fish, and sell directly to a restaurant. Okay. So what it is, it's a, a saltwater products license. You can buy it as an in-state resident. You can buy it for $50. That also includes your fishing license as well as your lobster stamp and I think your snook stamp. Oh, okay. So I mean it's it's I think yeah, I, mean, th- we're I think spend it's twenty bucks anyway. Yeah, I was about to say yeah. I think it's like thirty six dollars for your saltwater license mm-hmm. plus all the stamps and things that you want. So for an extra fourteen dollars, that gives you the ability to sell to a licensed wholesaler. Yeah, here well. in Destin, man, most of the restaurants are licensed wholesalers. I mean if they're if they're receiving seafood, in most cases they're going to be a, a licensed wholesaler. So here in Destin, it's it's a really cool option. I mean Pensacola, really any port city. You get an SBL and you go talk to the owner and be like, hey, if I come in with lionfish, will you buy them? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes they may throw a number at you that isn't as attractive as you would like, but that's where you got to start. You, yeah. you kind of give them a taste. Yeah. <laughs> and then you you find out like, oh my gosh, you know, they sold out within the first hour. Well, hey man, I can get you more, but it's going to cost you a little bit more this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, we, okay. When you did that tournament then, mm-hmm. did, you win, did you win cash? Yeah, we won cash. So... It was more so than what you would have been able to sell, sell your fish for. Well, we sold the fish too. So oh, okay. for, the, for the main event, you're allowed to sell your fish okay. for the pre-tournament. Yeah, I guess I wasn't too clear about that. So for the pre-tournament that's going on right now until the main event, you have to donate your fish. But that's you know how we're kind of generating uh, the the fillet stockpile mm-hmm. that we're going to use for Restaurant Week. But come the main event, all of those fish can be sold on site. We'll have a, a couple licensed wholesalers on site, and as long as you have your SPL, you'll be able to just. Dump your fish at the weigh-in station. I'll weigh them, count them, do all the things I need to do to establish how many you got. Mm -hmm. And then I will transfer them directly to the wholesaler who will then cut them a check right there on the spot. Oh, wow. It's awesome. Yeah. So like last year we got, I think it ended up being like, Twelve or thirteen hundred pounds of fish, and at six twenty-five a pound, we we cleared quite a bit of money um, in just you know two yeah. days of lionfish hunting. On top of that, we we took first place most, I think first place smallest, and second or third place biggest. So you know, first place most is like a thousand dollars, smallest was five hundred bucks, something like that. Yeah. So it was, it was not a so ton you definitely of money. paid your fuel your, your fuel costs. Oh yeah, no doubt, got no doubt. I mean, exactly. So well. the the tournament winnings really paid for or you know our tank fills, our scouting days, our fuel. But the the fish sales is really where we you know got a little extra money for a vacation or for you know mm. that that house project we wanted to yeah, wanted for to do. Sure. Um, but you know for this tournament that's happening this year, we're kind of taking it to a next level. So in in years past and for a lot of spear fishing tournaments, there's really not like major money involved. I mean for first place at the largest spear fishing event in the world, you get a pick at the prize table and you you walk up to that prize table and usually the best prize on the table is going to be valued at maybe $1,000, $1,500, maybe a little bit more, maybe let's say $2,000. Well, we have a lot of really awesome sponsors this year. And uh, for this lionfish event, if you get first place most lionfish, you win $10,000. Damn. And we're paying all the way out to sixth place. If you get the biggest lionfish, that's one fish, that's $5,000. If you get the smallest lionfish, which is going to be like microscopic, that's $5,000. So this is trickling all the way down. Sixth place is going to be paying a thousand dollars. So our sixth place fish, most fish, smallest fish, or biggest fish, is going to be valued at pretty much what any other tournament does for first place. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that this may start a trend of you know some of these other tournaments 
putting a little more money on the table because the the participation that we're going to have this year is going to be incredible. I'm sure we have some folks that are registering from you know St. Croix and mm-hmm. the Caymans that are going to be. That's what I was going to ask. That's a really good way to get the word out exactly to, to get people to say, "Hey, come to Destin and kill our fish exactly. and get paid." Well, and even if they aren't you know coming to Destin to kill the fish, they don't. Mm. They, you can shoot wherever you want. If mm-hmm. you want to go up to the Carolinas and shoot, great. If you want to go to the Caribbean and shoot, great. But they're going to be spending time here in Destin. You know, eating at our restaurants, staying at our, our hotels, which is great. But in the whole, you know, the the overarching issue being lionfish, lionfish are being taken out of the water. Mm-hmm. And I don't care where they're being taken out of the water. Granted, there's going to be a lot of folks that are going to be diving off Destin. There's not going to be a damn lionfish to be found after this weekend <laughs> off Destin, which is great. I mean, it's right before the season kicks off. So these reefs are going to be nice and clear for a lot of our charter captains that are going out there and doing a bunch of fishing. Yeah. So great. You know, hopefully these guys, you know, stop by and, and, you know, thank the divers that are going out there and shooting all these lionfish for them. Yeah. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, man, your Instagram is really fun to follow mm-hmm. as well. How mm-hmm. can people follow that? Uh, you can go on Instagram. It's, I think, at AFOG, A-F-O-G-G, mm-hmm. 2006. Yeah. When I, when you and I were first introduced to each mm-hmm. other, I followed you on Instagram, and I was like, this is really cool, man. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's the, just the way you do it, and uh, I, I get excited about seeing fish just in yeah, general. Exactly, you know, exactly. Uh, and that's, and, you know, a lot of people, I have, you know, all my college friends, no one was in marine sciences, or really no one's into, like, all this fishing. Mm-hmm. So all these people, like, look at my Instagram to, like, catch up or look at my Facebook and... They're like, do you do anything but fish? Because that's all I share. Like, yeah. I feel like that's the most interesting thing in my life. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't, I don't really take really many pictures of you know my dinner from the night or <laughs> yeah, know, me or, walking or on your, the beach or anything. Your email inbox. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, well, you know, I should do that. <laughs> I should do that. But no, I mean, it's it, it's all fish, and everyone's like, you know, do you do anything else? I'm like, well, I don't, not really. Yeah. <laughs> like, whether it's work or for fun, I mean, I try and get on the water as much as possible. When the weather's shitty, it's like, oh man. I guess I'll go ahead and do some chores around the house because I haven't done anything yeah. for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. I, I definitely appreciate you coming in here and discussing the issue. Is there anything else that people should know? No, man. You know, if if you guys have any other follow up questions, let me know. I'm happy to come and chat with you again. Cool. Yeah, man. Anytime. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely appreciate what you're doing, man. It's really important, not only to our area, but but just in general. Um, and I don't know. I'm I'm really into fish too. Yeah, man, so no I doubt. Enjoy the, no I, doubt, man. I, I we live in a good it. area for it for sure. For sure. For sure, man. Well, thanks for coming out. Follow Alex on Instagram. You can check out uh, Restaurant Week, uh, May, what, 16th, 17th, 18th? Well, Restaurant Week is going to be for 10 days prior to that. Okay. The main event is going to be 16th and 19th. Okay, so all before yep. that, be on the lookout yep. on where you can go yep. eat some Emeraldcoastopen.com. Can we give some specific places shout-outs? Uh, yeah, so, fish? oh, man. Uh, Jack Akuta's, um, AJ's, Dewey Destin's. Um. Oh man, so you putting me on the spot here. There's so probably Beauchamp's maybe. Yep, Beauchamp's. Yeah. Um, Rotulas. Yep, uh, Rock and Tacos, uh, Crab Trap. Great. Yeah, pretty much every restaurant in Destin and, and Fort Walton that's that's down on the water yeah. is going to be participating in this, which is great. Yeah. Maybe maybe we can get like a all access pass where you just like. <laughs> hey man, you know, <laughs> I, like I know Uber Eats gives out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But well, you know, I well, I also want to also give a shout out. I mean, Florida Fish and Wildlife. This is this has kind of been their their baby since the very mm-hmm. beginning, and they've been extremely supportive of having this event here in Destin. I mean, they've provided a ton of logistical support as well as financial support. Yeah. Um, in addition to all the funds that the TDC has kind of approved and put forward to this, so can't thank them enough for for making this happen. I think it's going to be the biggest year yet for sure. Yeah. Great, man. Cool. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks. There you have it, Alex Fogg. Uh, today's show was brought to you by Sand Jam Music Festival, Panama City Beach, Florida. It's happening very soon, April 26th through the 28th, a three-day festival featuring Kings of Leon, Cold War Kids, Third Eye Blind, Dirty Heads, J.J. Gray and Mofro, Yay Sayer, 
uh, local favorites, Heritage, Young the Giant, The Revivalist, Matt and Kim, and several other acts. Get your tickets at sandjamfest.com. My heart was always telling me how I felt. My car was always telling me to put on my seatbelt. Stop sign is always telling me to stop. Big dude, listen to this podcast, whatever it means.